Good morning. Welcome. And good morning to you again, sir. And good morning to everyone. It's just, it amazes me every week. You know, sometimes we'll have just a, a handful and sometimes we'll have a room full and then there's a lot of visitors. So I, it excites me no matter what. And no matter what we end up with in this room, I just, I know that the main reason why we're here is not to draw a crowd and to wow people because you're going to be disappointed if that's what you came for. Not very wowing, but Jesus is. And his testimony is, is very wow. Like, wow, wow, wow. His, his testimony and his, his power, I know for myself in my life, it just, I can hardly talk about it and it just messes me up. But he's so good. God is that good. And if you don't know of his goodness, I just want to encourage you to maybe open up the door of your heart and just, just try. Just try to, to open your mind and your heart, your spirit to that reality that maybe he really is good. Like maybe all of the crap in the world, all of the bad stuff is devil. Like devil, bad, God, good. Devil, bad, God, good. Okay. So the good stuff, he's a good, good father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father, daddy God. Okay, that sounds weird to some of you, but he's a father. And if, if he's your father, as a little child, Jesus said, come to him as a little child. We come into the kingdom like little children. We can come to him and we can call him dad. We can call him daddy, papa, whatever you want to call him. He's the father. You can be serious and say, heavenly father. That's fine. As long as it's in your heart, you're addressing him. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I don't know the address for that verse. Maybe you can look that one up too. That's in the scripture. Jesus told us that one. Those are red letters right there. So if the Father does not change and every good and perfect gift comes from him, then I can pretty confidently say in front of you all, God, good, devil, bad, okay? God does not bring sickness to teach you a lesson. He does not send cancer to teach you a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach cancer a lesson. Jesus healed all diseases. The Father didn't send sickness, and then Jesus had to go heal. Like, that would be two opposite forces at work. Sickness, darkness, disease, suffering, that all comes from the enemy and it comes from the the effects of sin in a broken world. Anyway, that's not the direction we're going in this morning. Did you have some right away? Okay, so I just want to do this really quick. I felt felt like God gave me a picture. So when we were singing, I just felt like he was saying, press into my heart. So I started saying, I'm pressing into your heart. And as I just pressed in, spiritually, I have my eyes closed. You know, I can't describe to you how that looks, but I just felt like I was pressing into the heart, the, the heartbeat of God. And Josh, I, I saw, I felt like I saw a woman who could be your mother, but I, I felt like that was what God was trying to show me. And I don't know if you look like your mom. Did, did you resemble your mom more than your dad? Okay, well, I saw a woman who kind of had the same eyes, and, and, but she had kind of like lighter brown, kind of semi-curly hair. Um, no, not like Tammy's, but anyway. And 
Well, this, I'll just read to you. I typed this up real quick while we were worshiping. I saw a woman, and I felt like it was your mom, and she was holding you as a young boy. And there was sunlight streaming in the window. I could just see her holding you with sunshine on her. And she was praying over you, and she was trusting God with the outcome over your life. That's just kind of what I was sensing. And uh, as we were singing, we were, we were singing this song, you know, he's enthroned on the highest praise, Jesus, you reign above it all. Um, and I was seeing that, then I, I felt like I could see it panning back for a second, and it was still your mom holding you and praying over you, but she was like tucked in, like at the feet of, of the king, right in front of his throne. Not like bowed down in fear, but she was just safe, like right up against his throne, tucked in, in safety. And so I, I just typed in, I saw the picture of your mom panning back. She was in the throne room at his feet, nestled in. And this just came to mind, like a rose of Sharon under the Father's care and protection. He's heard every prayer that's been prayed over you. And the cries of her heart, I believe, are now the cries of your heart. Maybe you don't even know what your mom prayed for you. I don't even know if your mom's a Christian or not. But, pardon? Okay. Well, she was praying prayers over you, I bet. Holding you praying over you. And I feel like God was saying the cries of her heart are now your heart. And they all originated from his heart. So the father whose heart is for you and for all of us, he has, he has breathed things into hearts of parents over moms and dads. And I believe over your mother when you were little. And those were the things that he put in her heart to pray over you. And I believe that those are the things that you might feel now are the cries of your own heart that he, he originated those things. So I just want to bless you with that. I just, hopefully that's encouraging. Um, yeah. And I just felt like, you know, there's this thing of, you know, we call it an orphan spirit. We talked about that earlier, too. There's a book on the table about the orphan's heart. But, you know, there's this spirit. There's this, I'm not calling it a demon, but there's just this spiritual atmosphere that individuals and people in church, whole churches even could carry it. But individuals often carry this orphan spirit. It's this, it's this spirit that kind of rests on you that says, I'm alone. I'm, I'm alone in this world. Maybe I don't even have an earthly dad, or if I do, he's, you know, we're, our relationship's broken, and, or whatever. And I don't even know if God exists. And that orphan spirit wants to come and isolate a person and release hopelessness. And hopelessness that a human being can carry around is oftentimes that hopelessness is a bigger issue than the things that you're hopeless about. You know, just the fact that you carry that hopelessness is, is a bigger deal than the things that you might feel are the cause of your hope, hopelessness. And I just want to encourage you today, all of us, myself, because I'll be honest, this morning I woke up with a, a funk on me. You know, I don't wake up perfect just like you guys. Yeah, yeah. I, and I had to 
I had to try to break that stuff off. Because those things, whether it is originated from my own heart and my own perspective of my circumstances, it could just be me and the way I'm looking at things. I'm choosing to look at things kind of in a, through a negative filter. Or it could be demonic interference. You know, it could be the, the airwaves. You know, there's static in the air. And the enemy tries to come in and attack right between the ears. So the battle oftentimes is right between our ears. It's right inside of our noggin. And those, those, those beliefs about things, you know, the beliefs about our situation or about God or whatever, our circumstances, that is the place where the enemy would love to isolate you and put that orphan spirit on you and cause you to become so hopeless and desperate that you're just like an easy target. And he wants to, the enemy would love to get in there and, and create a stronghold. So we call that a stronghold. There, there are strongholds in our thinking. So, you know, beliefs, they're like Legos. You know, how many of you guys play with Legos? I know all my kids do. So beliefs are, yeah, there's a Lego fan right there. So beliefs are like Legos. You know, you just keep putting beliefs in, into your thinking and you're building, you're building ways of looking at life. But the enemy also likes to use beliefs and lies and tries to build things as well. The enemy would love to build a castle or a stronghold in our thinking. But the Bible tells us that, that we have weapons, that God has given us weapons of warfare. So the weapons of warfare that he has given us, they are, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So God sees the lies on people's, it's like he can see the circle of your head. He's looking down. Maybe he's not looking down. Maybe he's looking straight. He might be standing right in front of you right now. I don't know. He's here. If he's everywhere all at once, you might as well imagine him with you right there with you. So he's looking at your mind. He knows your thoughts. His spirit searches your thoughts. and his know, he, knows, he knows the things that need to be broken off. And it's his heart that he would that you would give him permission to remove those strongholds, to break down those strongholds. So the rest of that scripture says, the weapons of our warfare, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So his desire, it's not that he just wants to turn you into a robot, because he doesn't. He gave you a free will, a heart that would be united with his spirit, his spirit merged with yours. That's what it means to be born again, born of the spirit. And then to lead you by his spirit, that you would follow his lead and you would, you would find joy and blessing and hope in life as you follow him. So that's his heart, is to break those lies off to bring freedom. In fact, we're just going to... Oh, man, I really want to hit this, but... Hopefully, I'll remember to come back to it because we're on a roll here. So we're just going to go forward. Isabel, why don't you just go ahead and uh, put slide number 21 up there. This is so kind of supposed to be at the end of, of our teaching time today. But Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Number one, he's the God of hope. 
He is not the God of hopelessness. And if there is any area in your life that feels hopeless, then that means there's a lie influencing truth. There's a lie trying to take the place of a higher truth. You may, you may feel hopeless about a real situation. You might have gotten a diagnosis from the doctor that says, hey, you're cancer since stage four. That may be true here on the earthly plane. But there's a higher truth. There's a truth from the throne room of God where Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. And that is the place where he will remain until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He is the God of hope. And he wants his hope and his kingdom, which is his, his, the king's domain, the reign and rule of the king. He wants his kingdom to come into the earth just as it is in heaven. So where there is hopelessness here on earth, he, the God of hope, wants to break through because he sees the, the hopeless son or daughter as one of his sons or daughters. And he wants to set his kids free. If any one of my kids came into the house and they were all tangled up in barbed wire, I would want to carefully get that off them before something serious happens. I would remove that thing that is all over them. Father God is the same way for each one of us. Whether you feel like your relationship with him is spot on or you feel like you've, you're just so far away but you're you know, just kind of maybe trying to draw close to him. Wherever you're at in that spectrum of near to God or far from God, his heart is for you. His heart is to draw you close to him and he wants to bring freedom over your mind. He wants... The God of hope wants to fill you. He wants to fill you with all joy and peace. Where? In believing. Again, the battle is between our ears. I've heard about two-thirds of the New Testament, of our, of our Bible, two-thirds of the New Testament, is all about the, the, not the situation, it's all about the theme of mind renewal. God wants to transform us as individuals as we, are, as we are changed in the way we think. So we call unbiblical thinking or um, you know, sinful, worldly, carnal thinking, whatever, the mind of the carnal man, the fleshly man, we call that stinking thinking. You know? And we all know what stinking thinking is like. We all you know, kind of walk into it occasionally. Sometimes you might wake up feeling like you got stinking thinking or the first person that cuts you off on on uh, the highway there. Is that 512, Cheryl? Is that... <laughs> yeah, I-5. It doesn't matter where. It's wherever there's lots of traffic, you know. That's where stinking thinking can come in. Or it could just be your coworker, or it could be your spouse, or it could be your sibling, or it just could be yourself. It doesn't matter. God wants to break in. He wants to break in, and actually he wants not just to break in like a, like a thief or a robber. He wants to be invited in. Because that's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us is where we open our hearts up. Like that song we were singing, I lift my hands up and lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. That is the picture of what God desires for us. And that may sound like, well, I'm just giving up all control to be a robot. But really, in reality, God has your good. He has blessing he has hope and a future for every one of us. And the key to getting there is surrendering. That's the lift my hands up, it's surrender, or it could be just like, Father, pick me up. 
and then I lay my life down. I lay it all down at your feet. 30 years ago, I laid my life down. I was a 20-year-old kid who had been in a long stretch of darkness, saturating myself with any kind of substance I could put into my body to alter my reality and make me feel good about life. And he came in, and he, as a good father, he came into the room. He walked right into the bedroom, and he made himself real to me with a choice. I could either continue to go my way, which I knew was destroying my future, or I could lay my life down at his feet. And all I could do, because it was so real, that, that time where he made himself so real to me, all I could do was say, I, I give you my life. I don't know how I will ever change, but I'm, I give it to you. And that is the key. You don't have to fix everything yourself to come to God. He wants you to come to him just as you are and, and enter into a relationship with your father. Enter into a relationship to the one who speaks identity over your life. He's the one who knows how he designed you. He sees the perfect picture of what your life was intended to look like. And he wants you to come to him so that he can restore and remove those, those lies, remove that orphan spirit so that you know that you know that you know you'll never be alone. I will never be alone. I can go to the farthest mountaintop and I'm not alone. I can go bury myself somewhere far away from everyone where there's not a single soul and I'm not alone. I know that he's with me, that the eye of the Lord is always on me. This is like turning into a preach and not a teach, but okay, is it okay? She's my, she's my reference here. And you guys, you know, you can, if you want to shout something, you can. No, we're not that kind of church. Amen, brother. All right. So the God of hope. What we believe about God, our, our belief system about what God is like, if we're not getting it from the, the word of God, if we are creating ideas about what God is like based on our own earthly experiences of, of our earthly dads or other leaders or people of authority in our lives, if we're allowing that to filter the way we see God, or if you are not convinced that the love and the mercy of Jesus poured out on the cross was sufficient to remove all of the sin in your life, that you now are credited full righteousness the full righteousness of Christ credited to you now covers you. And God, when he sees you, you are hidden in Christ. If you're not convinced of that truth, you will still feel like you are the stuff that you deal with. That you are, that my identity is the stuff I struggle with. If I got a, a, a temptation towards lust, looking at, you know, that's probably the biggest temptation most human beings on the planet. You know, when I read the book of Genesis, it started way back there. There's like kings were lusting after Abraham's wife. And he's like, she's my sister, you know. And then they're like, why didn't you tell me God was going to kill me in the middle of the night? Take your sister back, your wife back. She's not your sister. Just stuff like that. The, the desire for sex goes way back to the beginning. And it's probably one of the biggest things in our culture and in our world that wants to 
pull you from that relationship with God into that place of stinking thinking. Does that make sense? I don't even know where I was going with that. It doesn't matter if it's that or if it's just you got habits, you got a food addiction, you got a beer addiction, or whatever. You got an addiction to cussing. God wants you to come to him and not not hold back. He doesn't want you to see yourself and identify yourself as the things that you struggle with. Your identity does not come from your bad behaviors. Hopefully, as you walk with Jesus, the the bad behaviors are fewer and fewer, but nonetheless, they're still going to probably be there occasionally. So whether you're really good at nailing down all of the bad sins or you're not so good at nailing them down and you got a lot of them, he still sees you as son, daughter, and he is your father. And he wants to set you free and redeem and restore who you are, who he intended you to be. I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'm speaking to myself right now. He wants me to be restored and to become the, the man, the son of his that he dreamed of when I was being put together in my mother's womb. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's all through our belief system. If we're struggling with having joy and peace, it's because we're believing lies. You might be like, no, dude, you're wrong. It's my circumstances. Again, circumstances don't dictate to us what is truth. Paul and Barnabas, in the book of Acts, their circumstances were pretty crappy. They got beaten and locked up and chained to a prison wall. And you know prisons in the Bible were not like prisons here. They don't have TVs and heat. They were like the deepest place where there was sewage water running by, turds floating by, all kinds of great stuff, rats squeaking and all that stuff. That was prison. Yet in the middle of the night, at midnight, they began to lift their voices in worship. They began to sing praise to God. Do you guys know the rest of the story, what happened? When they were worshiping, they could have said, God, why did you abandon us? Our circumstances looks like you're, you're not even here. How can I have joy and peace from the God of hope in my beliefs when I'm locked up in a prison, chained to a wall, I just got beaten and threatened not to preach the gospel anymore? Yet what did they do? They took their thinking and they took it to the throne room. They brought their earthly perspective and they brought it up to the perspective of heaven, the one who sits above the circle of the earth and sees it all. The men and the the enemies of our lives are like grasshoppers. Satan has been placed under our feet. If you're a Christian, you are now seated with Christ, enthroned with him, In the heavenly realm, Ephesians chapter 2, and I don't know which verse it is, but Ephesians 2 says, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, Romans tells us. Don't know that address either, but I know it's in Romans. So he's placed the enemy under our feet. We are actually seated with Christ. But our earthly perspective is what we see through our natural eyes. So we're right down here on the earth plane, 
Yet God is like saying, no, but you're at the same time, you're in the heavenly realm. You're seated with my son. Your life is hidden in him. All of heaven is on your side. I have dreams. I have, I have plans for your life, plans to bless you, prosper you, give you a hope and give you a future. He's got good things. He is a good, good God. Do you need to jump in? No, keep going. Okay. She's my intercessor now. <laughs> I'm just like so happy to have a hot wife. Anyway, we'll get back to, get back to preaching. She's encouraging. I had to embarrass her a little bit. It's true though. So, oh, back to that scripture. The God of hope filling you with all joy and peace and believing. So Paul and Barnabas, they could have looked at circumstances and just stopped believing from that higher perspective. But instead, they chose to worship the one who they knew. See, they remembered, they had tasted and they had seen the goodness of God. They had tasted and experienced the power, the resurrection power of Holy Spirit in their lives. They knew the power of the gospel. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead came and exploded into the early church, into the book of Acts. And they, they experienced the manifest presence of God. I believe it's that manifest presence of God that carried them through that jail experience, through the beating, through the mocking, through the stench of being in a prison, to the place where they began to lift up not only their spiritual eyes, but their hearts and their worship, and they began to sing praise to God in the middle of that jail cell. And when they did that, that place shook with an earthquake. Like, I don't know how many of you have experienced earthquakes. Some of you are probably too young to remember any. The last big one was uh, when Emily was a baby, 19 years ago. <laughs> She's going to be 19 in a couple days, by the way. So you can say happy birthday to her if you want. She's going to be 19, and it was 2001 when we had that earthquake in Seattle, and I felt the whole house <laughs> wobbling. So that jail cell that Paul and, and Silas were in, shook with an earthquake and all of the shackles on all the prisoners broke, just dropped. And the prison guard was about to, ready to kill himself because he knew if these prisoners all, they're going to all get away most likely. And Paul's like, no, calm down. They're all, we're all still here. And then he told them about the, the God whose power he'd experienced, they had experienced. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your beliefs. I want to convince me, and I want to convince you guys, I want to convince our city, anyone I can get my hands on, anyone that I come across on my postal route that thinks God is, is not good, why would I want to be a Christian when that happens? I want to convince people, no, he's really good. And what, whatever bad stuff happened, it is not him. That is not his will. It is not his plan to bring that stuff into your life. So in believing... The God of hope wants to fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. There's a good quote that I love. He who has the most hope has the most influence. You want to have influence in this, in this community? You want to be influential wherever you go? Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. And you're going to get the most hope as you lay your life down. You lift your hands up and lay your whole life down. You just give him your all and enter into his rest. He has rest 
for you to enter into. It is a rest from all of your striving to be perfect. All of your striving to just make him happy. If I could just please him by my perfect obedience, then he will love me. That is not God. He does not give you an obstacle course of do's and don'ts to earn his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son before you ever said yes to him. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While I was walking down Sylvan Way at 18 years of age, frying my brains on acid, listening to a boombox, listening to Slayer, giving the finger to the cross that I had no idea what it really meant, that is the same God that loved me even when I was his enemy. Sorry, I'm getting a little heated, a little passionate, but it's the same with you guys. It's the same with you guys. You were once an enemy of God too. Through your sinful thinking, your stinking thinking, and your evil behavior, Ephesians says, read Ephesians, read the whole Bible, but read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 will tell you how you get saved. It's by grace through faith, not by works, so that nobody can boast. God does not like boasters. He does not want any puffed up person coming to him saying, look what I did, just like that Pharisee in the Bible that Jesus talked about. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner here who's broken at your feet, weeping. I give a tenth of all I have, and, you know, I read the Bible, and I'm perfect. And the one that he was standing next to, God, forgive me. Forgive me, I'm just a sinner. Who went home forgiven? Which one walked away justified before God? So there is a place of reality that we all, we all are truly, we begin as broken, sinful humans. But God. So if you walk out of here with anything else today, walk out of here with those words. But God. But Father. But the good, good Father who has every perfect gift that he wants to pour down on his sons and daughters. He, didn't, he doesn't have these perfect gifts just to give to the, the deer and the, the rodents or whatever. You're the ones that are created in his image. You are the ones that the enemy hates. You are the target of his God's affection. You are the sons and daughters of planet Earth. And he wants to bring you in to his family. And he wants to speak identity over your life. He wants to tell you who you really are. And if you wonder how he thinks about you, ask him. In the quiet of your room, of your find a quiet place sometime, when you're laying on your bed in the middle of the night before you go to sleep, ask him, Father God, what do you think of me? How do you see me? Do you love me? So why don't you guys just let's stand up. Let's just pray for a minute. So let's just do that right now. We just, we close our eyes and we just recognize that the Father is in the room. And we thank you, Jesus, that it's through your blood on the cross, through the broken body of Jesus on the cross, through your atoning sacrifice, that we have access to come into the presence of the Father right now by the Holy Spirit. 
we say, Holy Spirit, we just ask you that you would pull each one of us into that throne room right now, that we go through the curtain, we go through the veil, the broken body of Jesus on the cross. We go through that access point, the only way to the Father. We come through you, Lord Jesus, and we worship you, and we, we see the Father right now, and we say, Father God, show us, show us over the next few days even, show us individually how you see our lives. Show us the dreams that you have for each person in this room. If you've never said the words to those songs from your own heart, I lift my hands up and lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. Then this is your opportunity to surrender just like I did 30 years ago in the presence of the Father, right here in the family room where Father God is with us. And just like the story of the prodigal son coming home to the good father, Father, we thank you that your arms are open wide to every one of us in this room, that your heart is to welcome us in to the safety, to the protection, and to the provision of our Father, of who you are. If, if that's you, if you're here today and you just, it's, this is the day to say yes, then just say yes to him. Give it all. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I lay it all down. In fact, every one of us in this room, that is what God is inviting us to do daily. That we would surrender afresh, surrender anew every day. That we would wake up in the morning to the new mercies. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. We love you, God. We just thank you for the safety and the peace that you want to give each person here.